But uh, if, you, if you had an opportunity, like I did, to grow up in a traditional Protestant congregation, um, you may possibly have, have seen or heard terms that make reference to the different stages or, or planes that the church exists in. Uh, there's what's called the, the church militant, which is really just consists of all true Christians like, like we hear living on earth who struggle as soldiers of Christ against sin uh, and the works of the devil. Uh, and then there's what's known as the church triumphant, which consists of those redeemed of Christ who've been liberated from the struggles of this world and had the joy of passing into heaven. And there's a, a whole lot uh, uh, that we could take time talking about both of those, but it's really just the militant church that I want us to focus on today. Uh, and I want us to do that as we look at the last of the Psalms of Asaph. So if you're tired of Asaph, this is it. Uh, Psalm 83. A psalm that pictures very vividly uh, the vast number of enemy nations that he saw arrayed against the people of God and how that imagery really connects to the forces that we battle today uh, as Christian soldiers here in the 21st century. And so if you're following along in your Bible, I invite you to join me in, oops, in Psalm 83 today. And Asaph writes, O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek. Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre. Asher also has joined them. They are on the strong arm of the children of Lot. Do to them as you did to Midian, as to Sisera and Jabim at the river Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became dung for the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession for ourselves of the pastures of God. O oh my God, make them like a whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as flames set the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O oh Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. To God. Let's pray. Father God, help us so to hear this holy word, Lord, that we may truly understand, that in that understanding we might believe, and believing we may follow in faithfulness and obedience. And Father, through a miracle of your grace, enable us now, Father, to hear your still small voice, and open our eyes to see Jesus, because we ask it in his name. Amen. So, you know, in, in examining this, uh, this psalm, commentators recognize its, its connection uh, to the book of Judges, chapter 4, uh, with Israel's victory over the Canaanites back in the days of Deborah. We talked about that in Bible study. Uh, they also connected to uh, Gideon's defeat of the Midianites, 
Others mention the situation with the city of Tyre that we see described in Isaiah 23. But if you noticed, when I was reading through those names, there's ten pagan nations that Asaph lists here uh, as opposing God's holy people. And so other commentators have understood Psalm 83 as kind of describing a connection of enemies set against Israel and not just focusing on one specific occasion, but to the constant danger of extermination that Israel has lived under, both in the ancient world uh, and even today in the modern world. And that's kind of the approach that I want to take with this text today. But I want to do it in more of a spiritual sense. And so instead of ten enemy nations, I want to talk to you just briefly about ten spiritual adversaries, ten uh, enemies of God and of His chosen people, the church, that we're in a constant battle against as the remnant of God's militant church here on earth. And the first of those ten enemies is false teaching. False teaching. We touched on this in a uh, previous sermon, but think of it as, uh, as being careful about what you take in. Because, uh, you know, m- most people anymore are pretty careful about what they eat, about what they drink. But way too many give no thought as to what fills their minds and their hearts. But, you know, you can do yourself great harm if you ingest the wrong things. Like, w- would you ever drink a, a glass of paint thinner? Would you, would you eat a box of rat poison? Right? No, probably not. I mean, not voluntarily, of course. But what if someone were poisoning you and you didn't even know it? Like, you remember that, the great Tylenol tampering scare of the 1980s? Remember, remember where those cyanide-laced pills caused the death of something like seven, uh, seven unsuspecting people? Well, you know, we've overcome that danger with safety seals on our packaging, but unfortunately our hearts don't come equipped with those safety seals, do they? Uh, And there's no shortage of false teachers out there going around today and poisoning people's souls. Uh, Some of them speak on the radio, some appear on television, some write articles in magazines and books uh, or on the internet. Uh, Some false teachers stand behind pulpits and teach in churches. Some of them, and you've, you've probably had this go from house to house and, and door to door, uh, trying to talk to people and spread their lies. Uh, lies like, um, you know, there's, there's lots of different paths and diverse faiths, but they all, they all lead to heaven. Uh, or, or, you know, a loving God would never punish someone in hell. Uh, or that, you know, Jesus Christ, he, he was just a great moral teacher or... Uh, that the church was created simply to keep control of the masses. And so believers need to be alert. And when you're taught something, or when you hear a sermon, or when you read a religious book or a blog post, even if it comes from here, uh, no matter where it's from, you should go to the Bible and see for yourself whether it's really in there or not. Uh, And beware. Beware of anything that is contrary to what you find written in the Scriptures and don't let yourself be poisoned by false teaching. Uh, enemy number two on our list is worldliness. Uh, and, and basically the worldly person is just the person who ignores God. They don't consider God in their thoughts. Uh, they don't consider Him in their plans and in their choices. Uh, and sadly, those aren't always just folks who exist outside of the church. But we are called to be different. With God at the very center of our lives, we're called to be salt and light in this world uh, and to flavor and to enlighten the culture around us and not be changed and influenced by it. 
Because, you know, the more the church becomes like the world, the more it loses its witness and its power. And then unsaved people are likely to say, well, well, why do I need to become a Christian? All the Christians I know are no different than my non-Christian friends. Or worse yet, some may want to join in with the church for the camaraderie and for the social aspects and think, hey, it's okay to still live and, and speak and think the same way they always have because, well, Jesus just takes us as we are, right? That's partially true. But the fuller truth is that he loves you way too much to ever leave you that way. And so to defeat this, uh, this enemy, don't let the world conform you, but let Jesus Christ transform you. Right? Don't let the world conform you, but let Jesus Christ transform you. And, and those two kind of thoughts lead very naturally into enemy number three, which is legalism. It's, uh, legalism is a special kind of, really a special category of false teaching, uh, and it's a dangerous one. Because legalism gets a person to look away from what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for them and, and puts their thoughts over onto themselves and what they can do to earn and then maintain their own salvation. These are the kind of people who go around and say things, well, you know, uh, you can't be saved unless you were completely submerged in water at baptism. Uh, or, hey, you know, you aren't really reading the Word of God unless you're reading it in the original 1611 King James Authorized Version. Uh, or, hey, you know, a good Christian would never have a mixed drink. A good Christian would never eat meat on Fridays during Lent. Uh, and, and, and don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with desiring to live a godly life, but no one has ever been saved by keeping the law because none of us can keep it perfectly. But praise God, multiple millions have been saved by trusting Jesus Christ and His saving work on our behalf. So don't let anyone get you to take your eyes off of Jesus and what he did for you and me at the cross. And there's enemy number four, which is formalism. It's probably not quite as well known, but it's kind of a, a close cousin to legalism. Uh, formalism is, is something that has an outward appearance, but there's no inward content. So formalism is like having a, a walnut shell without any walnut on the inside. Right? It, it looks, looks like a walnut, feels like a walnut, but something very important is missing, and that's the actual walnut. Uh, and, and what good is a walnut shell without a nut inside? Right? I mean, the, the only thing it might be useful for is maybe to fool somebody, but it could never really satisfy anybody. And sadly, you know, brothers and sisters, there are a whole lot of nuts out there <laughs> that are completely empty on the inside. And, and, and they look pretty good outwardly. They, they, uh, they may go to church. They may carry a Bible. They... Maybe they bow their heads when we pray. Maybe they sing all the hymns. But it's just window dressing, so beware. Beware of an outward form of religion without the inner power and reality that only God and Jesus Christ can give. Uh, and so don't just go through the outward motions of being a Christian. Make sure your heart's right with the Lord. Make, make sure you're a real Christian and not just an outward Christian or a formal Christian. Because, you know, as the old saying goes, you may be able to fool the pastor, but you can't fool the master. Enemy number five is spiritual emotionalism. You know, the great reformer Martin Luther had a lot to say about that. He wrote, uh, and this is really catchy, it doesn't rhyme the same way in German, but it's great in English. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. And what he meant by that was, uh, we have to be really careful that we don't live at the level of our moods. 
and, and we can't constantly be trying to navigate our faith on the basis of, uh, of intuition and internal impressions. You see, it's like, it's like that great story that, that Pastor John tells uh, of the man who approached him one Sunday morning. Uh, remember that, John? He made the announcement that, that God had revealed to him that you were supposed to sit out that Sunday and he was supposed to speak instead. Uh, let him deliver the message instead. And without missing a beat, Pastor John said back to him, you know, that's funny, I, I spoke to the Lord this morning and he didn't mention a thing about that. <laughs> and that's, that's a good, good example of my point because, see, the only thing that matters is the real message of the gospel from the unchanging word and not somebody's private revelation, not their personal interpretation because uh, how you or I feel is really not that important. The important thing is this, what has God said? Uh, and, and there are many, many churches today that are, that are swept up in this emotional kind of thing uh, with folks you know, speaking in nonsensical gibberish and other folks blurting out predictions like some kind of sanctified fortune teller and all kinds of counterfeit miracles and hyped up entertainment. But in the middle of all that movement and excitement, the fundamentals of the faith are very oftentimes overlooked uh, and Christ gets ignored. So be careful. Be careful and ask yourself, are your feelings controlling you or are you letting God's word control you? Uh, do, do you live by your emotional state and, uh, you know, as the world tells you, follow your heart or are you guided and controlled by the Holy Spirit? And speaking of that control and, and direction, that brings up enemy number six, which is diversion. Uh, and this is only really funny because it actually happened to me this week. Um, fellas, did, did your wife ever send you to the grocery store to pick up something that she really needed? Like something she needed right away for dinner that night? You know, and you, you get started out with good intentions, but, you know, when you got to the store, you ran into some people you know, and you talked to them for a little while, and well, then maybe you got enticed by the deli counter, and... You know, then you picked up a couple of things that you wanted and, and then you wonder back in home like an hour later having completely forgotten what you were sent for in the first place. Right? That never happens to anybody but me. See, that's, that, that's diversion. See, you were, I was diverted. I was turned aside from doing what I was supposed to do and so in that way you fail to accomplish your mission and, and I can only imagine what picture she picked. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but the same type of thing can happen to churches that get caught up in social justice issues and charitable works and in civic activism as important as all of those things are they're really important but if they fail to keep the main thing the main thing then they're diverted and the main thing is Jesus Christ and his gospel of salvation which really flows into enemy number seven, and that's lukewarmness. Lukewarmness to the gospel. As you know, the Bible tells us in Revelations chapter three, in what is a, a letter dictated by Jesus to a church in a city called Laodicea, uh, he writes, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, beginning of God's creation. He said, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Uh, and if you were looking at that in the original Greek, it's a lot more graphic. It actually has Christ saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Think of it like this, like, have you ever been working in the yard and, and you got really hot and, 
and sweaty and thirsty and you, you want a nice cold drink but you, you forgot and left your water bottle sit out in the sun but you take a drink of it anyway and you can barely swallow it right? it's not refreshing uh, it's actually nauseating uh, and, and that's how Jesus feels about lukewarm followers or tepid churches so we have to ask ourselves am, am I hot uh, or cold or, or just disgustingly tepid uh, because God is not a fan of ambivalence uh, he doesn't care for fence-sitters, but desires people who are completely sold out for him without looking back. Uh, and God isn't calling us to act rashly, but what he wants are people who will follow him with joyful abandon and without regret. See, and, and, and the reason that happens, the reason for that is because, you know, there's only room in our hearts for one consuming passion. Just one. And so ask yourself today, is my love for the Savior cooling off? Because when it does, it leads to one of the most insidious of these ten enemies we're looking at, enemies of the faith, and that's enemy number eight is toleration. Uh, and one of the main problems with it is it sounds so nice. Uh, it sounds so friendly. It's so politically correct today, but there are some things that we must not tolerate because it never just stops there. Like, like imagine, you know, these folks... Uh, that are battling cancer. Suppose they learn there's just a tiny little cancer spot in your body. Would you, would you tolerate the cancer and just let it stay there and grow? No. And there are some things in the church that we must not tolerate. And I have to tell you, I've, just, I've completed some really sad research just over this last kind of like month and a half or so, and I've talked about it to a few folks, uh, of the close to 100 congregational churches that are listed in Florida online uh, if you look through their websites, and I, I have a little at a time, you're going to see this seemingly cute little symbol that's going to pop up there. Uh, really cute little symbol. But the symbol means that those 100 or so churches are now what's called open and affirming, which means open and affir affirming of the homosexual lifestyle that the, uh, the scriptures call an abomination. Uh, and what that symbol really means is those 100 or so congregational churches uh, tolerate sin. And don't mishear me now. I'm not talking about being hateful to individual people. Okay? Please hear me. As mature Christians, we must and should be able to love and respect everyone, everywhere, without qualification. But there are all sorts of behaviors that we should unequivocally reject. Uh, Psalm 97.10 makes that really clear. And we'll, we'll be getting to it sooner. Uh, it's pretty soon here. It says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil... For he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 9, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And for those of you that know your Bible commentators, James Montgomery Boyce said of this concept, he said, Love must be discriminating because real love does not love everything. On the contrary, he says, If we love as God loves and we must if we are Christians, then there will be things for us to hate, just as there will also be things that we must love. And so that's, that's the danger, that the church must never tolerate that which the Bible calls wrong. Uh, we can love sinners, but we are commanded to hate the very presence of sin in every life, including our own. Uh, and we're to seek to bring healing. But you know, unfortunately, as soon as something like that comes up, as soon as the institutional church declares that, there pops up enemy number nine, which is division. And you know, it's a, it's a terrible thing to see conflict in a family. You probably experienced that at different times in your life. But 
even worse uh, when it's in a church family that argues over doctrine. You know, that's why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He's, he said, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one Spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. And so the message here basically is don't tolerate sin, but go easy on everything else. Uh, you know, don't, don't get upset if someone takes your favorite parking spot, uh, your favorite chair, uh, or jumps in line in the fellowship hall to get the last slice of Clara's cake, whatever she made for today, right? Um, or, or, or a thousand other little things when we're together as a group that are really nothing compared to what Christ has forgiven us for. Uh, and don't be the one who sows discord and division. R remember why we're here. And that is to worship our Savior King and to listen to Him. And there's only one reliable way to do that. And that's to open up this book. Amen. That's to open up this book. Which brings me to the 10th and perhaps uh, most common on our enemies list, which is a closed Bible. Uh, one of the greatest enemies that the church faces today is the closed Bible. And I have to tell you honestly that even among folks who claim to be mature Christians, there is rampant biblical illiteracy in this country uh, and and at the same time there's loads of folks who complain that god seems distant to them but but you know i have to tell you honestly complaining about god being silent when your bible is closed is like complaining about not getting a text when your phone is turned off right it's, it's not possible and, and so we silence the sound of god's voice in our lives when we leave our bible on the shelf so pick it up pick it up this week uh, pray in the words of, of our psalm today, Psalm 83. God, do not keep silent. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. Defeat your enemies in whatever form they take, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. And how yet at the same time he comes to us today uh, in such a very close very personal, very intimate way in and with and under the bread and wine in Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who was buried and who was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures for you. And will you meet him at his table today with me? Let's pray together. Father God, it's truly right and our great joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you, by the joy of his resurrection and in expectation of his coming again, that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time, that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.